Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. One of the keys to, like, maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise-wise. Imagine you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of An Irishman Running Abroad with me, Jared Regan, and Sonia Sullivan in Australia. How are you, Sonia? I'm good, thank you, for yeah, approaching the end of January here already. Yeah, which means our PB event is around the corner. We have our, uh, an event designed by Sonia taking place this Saturday coming. You're all invited to take part. And it really is, uh, like, the more people that have joined this, Sonia, the more I've thought this was such a good idea. And we'd have to revisit it later in the year. Uh, essentially, the idea is you run your loop at your best time. So, Sonia, you you explained when we started it to resist the temptation of looking in the oven. Can you explain again what that is and what people should be thinking in the lead up to this uh, PB event? Yeah, well, I suppose the big thing was not to be kind of always testing yourself every time you go out for a run on your on your most frequented loop close Mm. to home. And I'm sure many people have probably established at least one of these um, in, in recent times anyway, where, we're, you know, most people have been encouraged to, to run close to home. Um, and, you know, it's just we all have these our favorite loop or the one that we can do without even thinking about mm-hmm. and um, to go out now and to just see, you know, what kind of time we can do on it. And there'll be all various distances that people will be running. But, you know, it'll be a little bit of a, a line in the sand to see where you're at right now. Yeah. And then maybe we can, uh, you know, do some, you know, I suppose extra, maybe some sessions or some drills or different things that we can advise to help you with your running and that you may be able to tweak out a little bit faster in a few weeks time. Yeah, I really love this idea and it really has taken hold in the Strava group that we have, the Irishman Running Abroad Running Club. If you want to join up, strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishman Running Abroad. And of course, I'm doing the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge to run 2000 kilometres for Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner. And this podcast, Sonia, as people know now, isn't just a running podcast. It's it's a wellness podcast and running has always just been the metaphor for life in this in these chats that we've had and the various guests that we've had on. And we've two very special guests today, as people will have seen in the info, David and Stephen Flynn, the happy pair who have a brand new book out and we'll talk to them later in the show in a conversation we recorded a couple of weeks ago. So I guess this is another nutrition episode. And I asked in the group 
what questions people would like to submit for you uh, this week, Sonia, just in the preamble before we, we chat to the lads. And one of the questions that came in was about your uh, muesli recipe. I can't find it for the life of me, this lad says. I've been looking for it everywhere. And it's my it's my fault. <laughs> uh, Paddy Munden, I didn't put it up. I think you sent it to me. Can we post it again? Or maybe, Sonia, would you, you have a couple of versions of this, do you? I, I do, yeah. I mean, there's the basic, um, you know, crunching up the oats and um, then all the different bits and pieces that we can add to it. Um, I'm not sure if we actually posted the muesli up. Hmm. Um, I did a little video on Instagram earlier last year um, when I was messing around with, um, you know, doing things in the kitchen when I, when I had my assistant Sophie with me, who is a... Uh, a bit more adept at these things than me. So I, I can check that out and see. I'll send it on to you if I still have it. Brilliant. We could I, throw that up for a bit of fun. I really do struggle with the breakfast, I'll be honest with you. And I think a lot of our listeners do as well. There, there's... There's also a temptation in colder weather. If you're in the northern hemisphere now, you'll you'll know you'll know all about it. Sonia's having the other experience, nearly nearly forty degrees there over the weekend. I can't even think about it. The fact that you've no cases down there where you are, there's no infection. Is just it's actually melting my brain when you consider how much strain is on people at the moment and how much leaning into a comforting breakfast can be just such a big temptation there's there's food in the house it's cold outside uh, i deserve this <laughs> and really the muesli is the happy medium because it does feel luxurious when you top it up with the bits and bobs so a uh, uh, paddy munden in chiswick in london that will be on the way i had a great question here though from a fella called uh, neil fusco sonia he says uh, Jarlath, I've considered. Uh, have you ever considered asking Sonia if your slow pace is too close to your fast pace? Now, I think Neil's been keeping an eye on my training in the group, which I post every single run that I do. I'm only a few months further down the road than you, he says, but my slow pace is around 90 to 100 seconds per kilometre slower than my 5k time. And I, I think I... I think Neil's spot on here. I think that the reason why I suffered this little bit of a hip tweak that I had was that I really wasn't taking it handy on the slow runs. And I was probably going at a, you know, a breakneck speed for myself on the fast runs. What do you say to Neil and myself here? Because I doubt that we're the only fellas having this kind of you have an anxiety over, am I going too slow? And you end up just not going slow at all. Yeah, I, that is an, a really good observation. And um, I suppose it's something I have mentioned to you a little bit over time, um, but probably always when you're getting injured, <laughs> thinking you're going a bit too fast. I think, you know, there's definitely times where you've got a bit too excited, you know, and I think... <laughs> What happens is when you find out that you can run faster mm. than you ever thought you could, then you want to run that pace all the time. And it's a little bit like when you go to do a session, like say, for example, this would happen to me occasionally. I'd go out and do some kind of a threshold type session and I should be running at 420 something per kilometer mm. for whatever, whether I'm doing four or five minutes. And then the first one I go out and I run 412 per kilometer. 
And then you're in a bit of a dilemma because it actually felt pretty good. Mm. And then you've got all this kind of bonus time that you can slow down to, to be where you should be. Mm. And all this but juice you in your legs. But you go for the second effort and somewhere in your mind, you crazily think that, no, I've got to match what I just did because that actually felt pretty good. So I want to do that again. And then you do it again and again. And before you know it, you've kind of done a session that is a pretty good session and you're happy with yourself, but you're not doing the session that you were supposed to be doing. Mm. So you're actually pushing yourself a little bit too hard. And then in relation to for that one day, it's probably okay. And you can get away with these things, but over time, these things can definitely catch up to you. Mm. And you're also not, not developing the anaerobic threshold, you know, we're going to get into some technical terms now, but the actual endurance ability to, to grow, to, the ability to grow your endurance and your ability to be more efficient is what you're trying to do. But you're operating at more close to your high, your top end speed. So, yeah, that is a problem. And it's something that we do need to address at certain times and maybe now is a good time to do it because you've had a bit of an easy week and maybe it's time to pull back a little bit and try to do a week at you know the specific paces and just see how that feels mm. and then if it's and then when you do a hard effort then you can sometimes reassess your training paces and then they change and then you up that for for the next block of training so we'll be able to address that next week when you go for your fast loop um we'll be able to you know even if it's an odd distance you can still work out you know what that means and you know you'll tell me the perceived effort it was a a one which would be uh, very easy or a 10 which is very hard and um yeah you can work these things out but yeah it's the to get the greatest benefit from training is to have a bigger the biggest differential you can between your fast runs and your slow runs. OK, right. Well, n thank you, Neil Fusco, for that, because that, you know, that opens up a lot of stuff there, Sonia. Like uh, one of one of the things that you've brought me to and a lot of our listeners talk about is this being in tune with yourself. And that extends beyond running uh, in a in a this really unprecedented time that we live in that feeling of this thing that you're doing will have a wider impact on you than you know, like consuming too much news, for example, you think, oh, I'm keeping up to date on the news, but somewhere in there, it is having a grinding effect on your morale and uh, how exhausted you are at the end of the day. And that's what I immediately thought of when you said that, like, I I have had that experience of a, a great first attempt. And you think, whoa, that was so fast. But the knock on effect of grinding out a session like that, it does go back to what you've said from the start with me and all our newer runners, which is we're not trying to run this run. We're thinking about long term running 
uh, and we can just get nowadays we can really just get caught up in the moment so thanks for that Neil this this one comes from Fergal who's a big fan of the show and he he says some great tributes paid to Jerry Kiernan this week uh, I know you knew him well uh, Sonia and that you worked with him on the panel he said Kira Megan's tribute was something else uh, which coaches he says had a major influence on you over the years Sonia and what are your memories of Jerry I think, you know, every coach that you have has an influence on you and they all have an impact on your life. And, you know, just like Kira said, you know, a coach is it's a pretty tight relationship that you have with somebody because you have to trust them and, and they also have to trust you that you're going to do what they're telling you to do and you're not going to be off doing your own thing because otherwise it doesn't work. Mm. And, you know, I think the thing with having with a coach is that a coach can take you so far, but then every now and then you need a change. And that can be the hardest thing for anybody to do. And Kira had to do that. So I'm sure, you know, a lot of that will be playing on her mind this mm. week as well as, you know, when you move on to a new coach, it can be quite a difficult thing to tell the old coach because it's not that you're, you don't think they're any good, but you feel like you need to, do things a little bit differently or you want to explore things differently and see, you know, can you improve more with somebody else and with a, maybe a different style of training, maybe with a different training group. And so it can be, you know, a coach athlete relationship when it changes, it can be very similar to, you know, a personal relationship and, you know, the breakup of a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. It can take a long time to get through it and to, to move on from it. And, you know, I'm sure Kira wishes that, you know, she had more communication with Jerry, you know, in recent years, but she was moved on to her next level and area of life as an athlete. And you get into this new bubble and, you know, you don't have the same interaction that mm. you used to have with your old coach. But yeah, Jerry was, you know, a great friend to me and um, colleague on RTE. I mean, I think Jerry, he carried the show for, for most of us, <laughs> myself and Durbel. We were probably more worried about what we were wearing and how we were looking. <laughs> and uh, Jerry turned up with his backpack, you know, and you knew it was a, a backpack full of knowledge. And, you know, he had all the information in there. And, you know, some days I would turn up and there'd be a blank piece of paper and I'd be going through the startless of events that were on and um then i out loud i'd call i'd call out somebody's name i'd say oh, how about this person and jerry would say i tell you now <laughs> and he would have a page on somebody who i'd never heard of before wow. <laughs> you know the the detail was was unbelievable and you know i suppose that was a, a i suppose a, a close working relationship that we had that we worked together and the one thing with Jerry was that you know from his school teacher background he always came over prepared Mm. and he was very willing to share the information that he had you know he didn't want to go out there and you know be better than us he wanted to go out and you know we were all working together and you know trying to have the best show we could and you know to, to share our insights with the people who were watching. Yeah, he just he just came across as such a nice man. And as you say, that research and the level of detail 
just came through every single time, didn't it? Uh, the uh, It seems a shame not to dedicate more time to a discussion of Jerry, but I, I guess we have the lads waiting in the wings here. I kind of only have time for one more question. And a lot, actually, I should give shout outs to people that did submit questions. Kelly Paulino submitted a really interesting question about running into a headwind. We'll get to that another day. Uh, Seamus McAteer, Keith O'Connor and Ian O'Brien wants you to accept him on Strava as a friend. <laughs> was his question. I did. I did. I saw that and I accepted him and I answered his question. OK, very good. Um, I can answer the one about the headwind. I'll do that on Strava as well. I'll go back to it. I think I saw that one as well. OK, very good. This is a, There you go. There's another reason for you to join the running club. You actually get a, a message direct from Sonia for your question if it doesn't get answered on the show. But one email I received and for some reason I must have deleted it, but I had a back and forth with a listener over her shoulder tightness that she said, and I think we've all had this at some point or another, that you come back from a run with your shoulders super tight and bunched up and you feel this strain even as you're running. Well, she talked to me in these emails about how doesn't matter what she does. Like I even suggested if you tried unclenching your hands because I said it feels like you're clenching something. But she said it doesn't matter what she does. She comes back from her runs with this massive sense of tightness across her back and upper shoulders. What would you suggest there, Sonia? I would think, you know, just from, I suppose, observing other people running around that she may be running you know, with some tension in her upper body Mm. and kind of holding herself too tightly. You know, sometimes you see people and their shoulders can be up around their ears and they're running with their arms and their elbows are really tight into their body. And I think you just need to be very loose and flowing with your arms. And, you know, it's very easy to, to say that. And then you say, well, what do you mean by that? So, you know, sometimes if you even, if you're running past a shop window or something, you might look like, your reflection in the window and you might if you go slow motion you could see what you look like Mm. or or you could get somebody to video you you know and just just to get an idea of what you look like when you run and then you might see something that oh that I am holding myself a little bit too tightly there Mm. I know I, I often get that when I ride the bike and people always say to me oh relax relax your shoulders relax your your head and everything and there's a kind of a tension, I suppose, that I have because I'm not as relaxed on the bike as I would be out running. And, you know, it may be the same thing. It may be just holding yourself too tight. Mm. And I'm not sure why that would be, but it just may be just the way that somebody that's their running style may have evolved into that. Mm. So, you know, it may be worth just doing some short running strides and trying to run differently with your arms and let them run loose and hang loose and like you really don't need to hold your arms in any way they should just let them you know fall and move as as they do just naturally um the only time i would hold my arms tightly is like if i'm doing some sprints um or running up a hill you might move your arms you know try and move them um more um, because if you do move your arms more, it can help to pull your legs up the hill. Is it possible that it's her breathing, though, Sonia? Like, I, I think sometimes when I felt this, it's because I've been thinking about something that I've got something on my mind that I've got to get this run over and done with and I'm not breathing properly. Is that possible? 
Uh, yeah, that could be very possible. I mean, you can definitely, if you're tense or stressed, this would happen if you're maybe trying to do something too hard sometimes and you're getting stressed because you're not going as hard as you want to do. And so you tighten up and then everything tightens up and it's very hard to kind of release the stress once you build it up like that. Um, but it's possible that somebody could get that in a small way all the time. Hmm. I'm just normal pace running if they never really learned how to relax while running. And so then the breathing would be a thing to think about and how you're breathing as as you're running and trying to breathe, you know, in a probably a, a normal way. You know, it, the, your breathing shouldn't be any different when you're running to when you're walking to when you're doing normal day to day stuff. If you're going at an easy pace. Well, let me ask you this question about breathing, right? Because uh, I've been really, really, really focused on it for the last while. I, I don't know why. I think it's maybe because I really miss yoga and I don't like doing the yoga in the in the house with a YouTube video. It's just not the same as going to a hot yoga studio and sweating your arse off for 90 minutes and coming out and feeling like you're a new man. Uh, so I thought, well, if I can focus on my breathing when I'm running, it'll probably improve the, the running, make it a little more meditative. But what I find myself doing, and again, I doubt I'm the only one who does this. I've got my, my breathing going really well, thinking, geez, this is great, Jerry, you're a great lad now. And then somewhere along the line, my mind will drift somewhere else and I'll do a gigantic sigh, like I'll do a huge intake of breath and then breathe out heavily after it. And it kind of, you know, screws the whole running cycle and rhythm that I had going. Is that like... Is that weird? <laughs> is that? A, I think my question is, Sonia, am I weird? Is that a is that a terrible thing to do, or is that common enough as well? I don't think it's a bad thing to do. I think it's probably you know you're probably going along, and then maybe your breath kind of catches up with you, mm. and you're kind of you get out of sync. Mm. Um, so then you have to take one big deep breath to reset yourself. Yeah, and you know I th I think that is definitely something that happens and. I mean, I think for me, the breathing, the hardest part is if you're trying to run hard and then you kind of, you know, you get out of breath, I suppose. So you try to catch your breath when it goes all a bit funny. But that's where the threshold type runs are really beneficial is that they teach you to become in sync with your breathing, running at a faster pace. And it just takes quite a bit of practice to do that. Mm. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely... I mean, it's interesting to think about how you're breathing when you're running because it can distract you from, you know, if the run is a bit too hard or, you know, you're not in the mood for doing it or something. It just gives you another focus or something else to think about. But it's definitely part of running is, you know, getting your breathing right. And, you know, it's a bit like going swimming. Breathing is like essential to get right. And when I first learned how to swim, I would do one length of the pool and I'd be so out of breath. And I would think, how can people swim in here for an hour? You know, you just can't do that. But it's all about getting the breathing in sync with your, with your strokes. And, you know, it, it, it is possible to do that. And so, you know, depending on what background you're coming from, you know, if you're not a natural runner or you're new to running, then maybe this is something that people have to work on a bit more. And I, I really don't 
know this because I've never experienced it that much. But I have in other sports, like in, you know, swimming and cycling and, you know, other sports that I do. Like, you know, I suppose the, the classic is running for the bus. You know, you can be a great runner and then you've got to run to the bus and you get so out of breath. And you think, <laughs> how, how is that? But it's because you're not kind of, you're not preparing to go for a run like you would normally go for a run. You're running out of, you know, sync with mm-hmm. when you would normally go for a run. So that that's the perfect example of, you know, everything does, you're, you get tight and sore when you do things like that. And you kind of think, how can that be? I, I can run for an hour most days, but I can't run for the bus. But it's just a different, you're just, just doing it out of, it's, it's, it's out of context. Mm. And, you know, maybe if somebody is doing running, you know, and it, it's new to them, and it would be if you're, you know, getting tense and tight then, you know, you just have to practice and maybe run a little bit less, a little bit slower and a bit of walking and jogging and and concentrate on the breathing and, you know, relaxing and, you know, doing as much as you can without tightening up and without feeling sore and, and then kind of gradually increasing it. Well, I'm massively excited about this weekend's PB event. Thank you for designing it, uh, Sonia. And thank you to everybody who's been in touch and been incredibly supportive. And I say this a lot, but I really do mean it. There's no way that I'd still be going without you know, your support, Sonia, but also the, just the community support of the Irishman Running Abroad group there on Strava and everybody's kind messages and emails to Irishman Abroad Podcasts podcast at gmail.com is just extraordinary that kind of wink and nod of the running community even the people that are just starting out like myself and Neil Fusco who really don't know what we're at but are giving it our best go it's it's been such a joy uh, and even with the highs and lows of it so far it's been it's just been great fun so the PB event is next Saturday please do sign up and if you can head over to idonate.ie and search Irishman Running Abroad Challenge and, you know, kick in a couple, whatever, a couple of euro you can. It'll be doing a massive amount for Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner. I have I have one surprise episode going out this week that you might like, Sonia. It's, uh, it's a Patreon exclusive episode this week. Kobe Bryant, the incredible American basketball player who died tragically in a helicopter crash with his daughter and seven other parents and children. Uh, it was... Tuesday, this day that this episode is being released last year. So I met up with his biographer, Roland Lazenby, an incredible writer who wrote the definitive book on Kobe Bryant to uh, look back at his career and this really peculiar character. If you've watched the Tiger Woods documentary on Sky Documentaries, you'll know the type of peculiar type of person that it takes to be that obsessed with his sport you're going to love this episode it is a tribute to Kobe but it's also just a look at sport and the obsession with perfection would you have ever come across people like that Sonia who were just like entirely consumed and couldn't talk about anything else or were you yourself ever that way I I don't think I was ever that way no I, I definitely like to you know I with training and racing I kind of like to do it and then move on from it Mm. I was never really that obsessed with I was always interested in you know what was next and you know that was kind of the hard work and once it was over then I was looking for the you know I suppose the fun things to do and I didn't really 
dwell too much on talking about training or racing and you know re-watching races that definitely wasn't part of what I did at all and you know maybe that's kind of something that people do more of now to analyze their performances and I suppose there's probably more easier and better methods of doing that now as well but yeah I'm trying to think if there's anyone I met who's a bit I suppose the closest person would be um Aidan O'Brien um the horse trainer um yeah I went one time down to um his training um Bally Doyle yeah I went down there early in the morning and uh you know watched the horses going around walking up and it was just fascinating you know he knew the name of every horse and all the um jockeys who were riding out and would ask them all about the horse and you know then it was back for breakfast and you know it was all talk about the horses and he was just obsessed with it and that was you know yeah i mean horse people are so funny like that like i obviously have a first-hand experience of this where that is the that is the life i mean what else would you be talking about (laughs) If you're not talking about horses and I, I do admire it, but in the in the in the Kobe sense, it drove him mad. It actually drove him to distraction. And what's extraordinary about the story and the the untold story, really, I don't think people focus on, you know, the 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 precipice that he came to in 2001, where he essentially cut himself off from his family an attempt to de- attempted to destroy his own life, even though he had won his third championship. It's a, it's an unbelievable story, and I really hope people will listen to it. Uh, so Roland Lazenby, Kobe Bryant episode. It will go out uh, tomorrow, I think, or today. I'm not sure. It depends on how quickly Brian can get it up. We really only did this chat last Thursday. But this is a real double whammy episode, Sonia. We've got the happy pair of boys waiting in the wings here. This was a really, really fun chat about food and uh, going uh, plant-based and we tried to get to as many of your questions as possible but if you have any further questions please do ping them through irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com and Sonia thanks so much for this half of the chat and uh, yeah I'll talk to you in a minute I'll talk to you soon Well, we said we promised you a food episode every month after the success of last month's episode where Sonia gave me the now infamous recipe for her Powerballs, which nearly burned down the Regan household. Well, one of the things that got mentioned in that episode was the incredible soups of my guests today. The Happy Pair are an Irish business and literary sensation. Is it fair to call you that, boys? I mean, a quarter of a million books sold. It's it's truly an extraordinary success story. The Happy Pair, the world of the Happy Pair, recipes for happiness. You've amassed a massive audience at nearly one million people online. You've Happy Pair cafes thriving. And of course, your own families at this stage, which is not to be forgotten that this hasn't been at the expense of your own personal development. I didn't know that you were both runners. Everybody knows that you're swimmers, but you're both avid runners. Is that right, lads? Yeah, we've been runners for years, like not not at any kind of serious level, but we've run marathons and we've always been runners. I guess we played a lot of rugby as teenagers and in our early 20s. And we were both flankers, which tend to be the very fit lads because we were we're like greyhounds. We can go with big batteries on us. Right, so right. Greyhounds. 
Winters. Oh, yeah, okay, well. One more like endurance. Yeah, endurance. We're able to go anyway, big end. But something that we definitely love and we'll often turn to, you know, whenever I feel a bit stressed or just a bit, you know, I just need to get out or go out for a good run. I always feel it's very good to kind of just release any tension or just spend a bit of time in nature. And often mm. like where we're sitting right here today, we're looking out over uh, Bray Head, which for anyone who doesn't know, it, it's kind of this lovely hill right by the sea. And I always think like I might be sitting here kind of a little worried or something bothering me. And as soon as I run up the top of that hill and look down on little Greystones where we live, I kind of, it kind of puts kind of problems in a great perspective. So I find mm. it very beneficial. Um, well, that, that, mental health that, exercise. Yeah, that is, that's kind of where this podcast began from, isn't it, Sonia? That this, this whole journey that I've been on, and it's a little bit depressing to hear you say, oh, we're not serious runners. We've run marathons. When, <laughs> when that's my whole goal <laughs> is to get to the Dublin City Marathon <laughs> in October. Oh, just a marathon. But, uh, you know, that's kind of where it all began, isn't it, Sonia? This discussion of running being a metaphor for life itself, but also just the meditative qualities of it especially in these very difficult, unprecedented times. Uh, Sonia, how, when did you first come into contact with the boys? And first of all, have you guys met before? Yep, we have. Times, yeah. Um, I actually did that, the walk from Bray to Greystones with the sole purpose of going to the Happy Pear Cafe. <laughs> when um, It was in, I think it was in December. It was, it was pretty cold when we did it anyway. And um, there was talk about maybe walking back as well, but then the dart is very handy, <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's it's a nice option. But <laughs> I have also ran on that trail and run around there, and it's it's a fabulous, fabulous um, kind of uh, trail to get out and you know to be running on a nice surface and then looking out over the sea. And I can imagine all year round it would be a, a super place to go and just. You know, there's just so much fresh air, you know, mm. just to be out there along the coastal tracks. And then, you know, there's nothing better than a run to have a destination to go to either, you know. So a, a cafe at the end of it all is uh, it's uh, it's very attractive and, um, you know, something to look forward to. Um, but Charlotte, yeah, no, that's the other thing. You know, when you the more people you talk to and you tell them you're running and what your challenges are and then you hear that they've boys have run a marathon, you know, you just can get more information and tips mm. and you know from from because people approach it from so many different ways and um yeah it's just uh, it's just great to have you know i suppose the like we're talking today about food but then to have the connection with running as well you know it, it just we can all connect up in so many different ways and and then at the end of the day we all love what we do because of you know being able to get outside and to to, to be in nature yeah. and then to also, you know, and to, and to make yourself hungry and feed your soul. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I haven't really talked about this too much on the show because it isn't it isn't the purpose of it. I mean, it isn't it isn't about weight loss, but I have lost 12 kilos since starting running with Sonia in September, which is an insane quantity of weight. I, I've literally never felt healthier in all my life. It's also uh, meant that I can kind of I'm much more conscious of the fuel that's going in, boys. Uh, now, your new book 
is an astonishing piece of work. I think it's the best one you've done. For those that don't know, it contains absolutely beautiful breakfast recipes from granola to a homemade vegan fry up. If you ever thought such a thing could exist, it's got the salads, it's got uh, pizzas, it's even got my favourite, the burger in there. But today we thought we can't cover it all. Let's talk about that thing that you now that you're locked down, you actually have time to devote to making one of these soups that Sonia is such a huge fan of. And as we said in our previous episode, it's nearly not soup, is it, boys? It's it's more of it's it's closer to a stew, is it not? Yeah, I think. Well, I think there's there's so many different types of soups. You've got the kind of homogenous monotexture blended soup which is, you know, it's very good if you've got kids because they can't see vegetables in it or if you're an adult that doesn't like vegetables because it can just be one kind of tasty... Yellow soup or red soup. What, what? Orange soup. What's for lunch? Red soup. Great, I love red soup. So that's, that's one category of soups. And then the other type is like, it's a cross between a stew and a soup, which could be called a stoop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like a chunky, like a chunky, delicious, like kitchen sink type soup where there's like you can have lentils and beans and grains and veg and it's just you're if you put it all in a really nice kind of broth and there's so many different types of sauces you can put them in and any different way you can take it like from Moroccan Herreras to Italian white bean and kind of veg soups to kind of chunky Spanish lentil soups there's such a variety of chunky soups that they're kind of they're the perfect kind of nourishment for your soul. Mm. And kind of the, the basis of most soup will start with your base veg. And typically most soups will be about like, can I go a little bit technical? Yeah, go for it. Like about, it would be approximately 30% base veg. So if you think about traditional French cooking would have a mirepoix, which would be your onion, your garlic and your carrot would be the main base of it. And if you go to Italian cooking, it would be the soufrito, which would be the onion, the cel- the celery and carrot all dice nice and fine. So similarly, if you use any of these type of base veg, typically for our soups in the cafes, we'll use onion, celeriac and carrot as our base. And celeriac, for those of you who don't know, it's the, the root of the celery. So it's real starchy like a potato with this lovely subtle celery note. And carrots, the second sweetest of all veg. And onion, when, when you kind of cook them in a low heat and kind of caramelize them, they really release their sweetness. And this just provides a wonderful base kind of under courage or courage or foundation of flavor with which to build a soup masterpiece yes yeah, so, so to, to, uh, as steven said you've got about 30 percent. 30 percent is your base veg and then about 30 percent are your hero veg so if you were going to make a tomato and roasted red pepper soup you'd kind of you know you might put in tin tomatoes so you've got about 30 percent of the volume of the soup will be tomatoes and roasted red peppers like you can buy them in jars or you can roast them in the oven and then about 30 to 40 percent is going to be the liquid so your liquid could be veg stock it could be you know coconut, coconut milk. milk it could be tin tomatoes it could be any kind of thing that's going to make up the basis and that's your kind of basic framework of soup okay 30 percent base veg 30 percent hero veg and about 40 30 okay. 40 well, well let me ask you some some questions from you know a complete noob perspective so the as i said the new book is the happy pair vegan cooking for everyone the essentials for creating delicious plant-based food and you know, I'm just not, I'm that person who loves the idea of it, probably owns more cookbooks than uh, meals I've made. 
<laughs> there, there is, that is the reality of my my situation. I I really love the idea of it, but the way things are, and there's always an excuse not to do this for someone like me, lads. What are the basic building blocks I need, and the simplest soup I I can make uh, using your kind of model? And do I need to buy a proper liquidizer rather than the Nutribullet, which, as I said, nearly burned the house down two weeks ago. Wow, good on you, Jarla. <laughs> um, I, I think if, if you are, I often say a good cook, it's not down to your equipment. It's just down to being a little bit prepared and organized. Okay. Like I do think a, a basic immersion blender, we often call them a soup gun. You know, these ones that you just stick in the pot and blend. Oh, they're yeah. typically They're typically kind of anywhere from 10 to 20 euros or pounds, depending on where you're living. And they're very versatile and user friendly. Mm -hmm. And and they're kind of, it's hard to burn down the house. So I think. I did did break one two weeks ago. That's okay. Keep going. Oh, good (laughs) work. They're not easy. If you do make a soup and want to blend it without one of them, then you've got to transfer it to your Nutri Butter, your food processor. And you've got this hot liquid that invariably you'll spill some on the counter and. Then you blend it and the lid might fly off and the soup might end up in the ceiling. Like There's so many more variables that can happen if you don't have an immersion blender. And for 12 euro, I think it's a great investment. Okay, cool. So immersion immersion blender, nothing to do with Des Bishop and the immersion. It's it's a yoke. It's a choppy, spinny yoke that looks like a, a whisk with a battery on the end of it. Is that right? It's yeah, like it's like a, well a wooden said. spoon with yeah. like uh, a motor at the bottom of a boat, you know, like a a moat a boat motor at the bottom of it, <laughs> okay. and you press the top of it, and the, the motor spins at the bottom, and then it chops up all the veg and turns it into <laughs> lovely liquid. Lovely, lovely. Okay, so but you have to kind of you have to kind of go around the the pot with it, don't you? You kind of plop it up and down and uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> catch yeah, yeah, the yeah. big yeah. veg around. Yeah, you shake so you it all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. you have to put your hands over it. Like you kind of put your cup, go over it a little bit so that it doesn't splatter everywhere. And you have to be careful. You don't keep it button pressed on when you lift it out or it'll go everywhere. Well, the, you know, Sonia had yeah. a discussion with us lads Just two weeks ago. Just warning here now. Yeah, this is, this is it. Sonia's now taking me through the very basics because she knows how bad I am. That she needs to say things like, be careful not to put it everywhere. Uh, but we, we do need, after we establish this, this basic soup, we do need to talk about the crucial aspect of bread. Because Sonia two weeks ago talked about good toast and bad toast and caused a major kerfuffle in the Irishman running abroad Strava group where people were like, Sonia, don't take toast away from us. It's all we have. I know that bread goes hand in hand with with the good soup, does it not? So if talk us through the basics of what this soup will look like and then maybe we'll have a quick look at bread. Yeah. So, so this is Dave here. If I was to recommend a simple basic soup, like you could start with a sweet potato and coconut milk soup is really nice. It's really simple and you can season it with ginger or something like that. So sweet potato, coconut and ginger. And I'd literally, as Stephen said, you'd start with onion and carrot. And if you could get celeriac, great. If you couldn't, you could just use potato instead. So I'd probably use kind of a couple of hundred grams of each of them to start with. And I'd chop them all up reasonably uh, they can be rough enough because you're going to blend it i'd pop a little bit of oil in the pan like maybe a tablespoon or not if you want to use no oil that's perfect too just make sure your pot's nice and hot mm-hmm. so say, say i've added a tablespoon of oil i've added my chopped veg in. i'm going to fry them down for about 
three to four minutes until they start browning. And then I might, if I've got time, I might add a decent sprinkle of salt and I might pop the lid on and reduce that down to a low heat just to let it steam in all its juices. Mm -hmm. Next step, we're going to add in our sweet potatoes. So depending on how much volume of soup you want, I always think soup, it kind of lasts two to three days. So if you're going to the trouble of making it, you might as well make a big batch. So let's just say approximately you're going to add in two kilos of sweet potatoes. Don't bother to bother, excuse my pronunciation, but don't bother to peel them because most amount of nutrition in any root vegetables will be in the skin. So just give it a good scrub and remove any blemishes. Okay. So chop it up kind of nice and bite-sized pieces as, as best as you can. Pop it in, nice generous pinch of salt, give it a bit of a stir, and we're gonna put the lid on. This is a te technique known as sweating. It's what your granny used to do. And what happens is, remember when you were, a, a, you, you probably did this when you were a kid, Jared, at least we did anyway. Remember when you'd find a slug on the road? And we didn't do this, Ned, but the boys on our street. <laughs> yeah. And you'd pour salt on the oh, no. slug, and it'd draw his moisture and it'd dry him up. So it's the same way, well, it's a little bit different, but by adding salt to the sweet potato, it's drawing the moisture out of the sweet potato. And in essence, you're letting what, what's known as sweating. So the vegetables start to sweat in their own juices and kind of just steam because the lid's on, it's trapping this moisture and it's creating almost like a steaming effect. So you want to leave this sweat for about 10, 15 minutes and just stir it occasionally. And what you want to reach is where the sweet potatoes kind of become soft and cooked and there's a few of them going a little bit brown. It just smells lovely. Yeah, and that's all in a medium heat. So after that, about 10 minutes. Are you, still, are you still with us? Yeah, Just checking. Are you still with us? I, I mean, my first thought when you mentioned sweet potatoes, though, are there, and I won't be the only one thinking this, is that they're a whore to chop up. They're very, very hard <laughs> to chop up. I, I mean, how many people? I think I, actually that was the last kitchen appliance I broke uh, was the uh, attempting to run a sweet potato through one of those yolks that you press down on and then it chops it. I mangalized one of those by leaning down on it. How, oh how do you chop a sweet potato, lads? Or do I even... You need a good knife. Good night, Charlotte. <laughs> Sonia, yet again, swoops in with the no-nonsense answer. <laughs> Sonia, you're on it. Try to get a chef's knife. So lots of people who start will have a small little kind of paring knife. For knife. Yeah, try to get a chef's knife, about a 30, 30 centimeter one or something like that. And if you start with small sweet potatoes, it's kind of like starting with, you know, starting with the smaller bike to learn how to but ride it, But if you're too intimidated to chop a sweet potato, you could use carrots instead. And it could be carrot, coconut and ginger soup instead of sweet potato, coconut and ginger soup. So so it's totally versatile. Like maybe you don't like sweet, sweet potatoes. You could, as I said, you could use carrots. You could use any other type of root veg. You could use parsnips. You could mm. use, you know, any whatever you have in the in the press, really, or the fridge. So, yeah, I'm with you so far. Uh, at this point, we're looking at a huge pot uh, that has been sweated, as you say, using that salt method. And as you said, 200. Yeah, for about 15, 15 minutes. So, to, so th you know, this Two is KG. at this point. I mean, I remember my father used to just con continually, you know, boil the kettle and just add that to the soup. I mean, uh, the temptation to go, oh, we need to make this a bit runnier. I mean, these aren't terms that you use, but I, I, I get panicked with a soup where I'm like, oh, no, this is now just sludge. What's the best advice when cooking it so that you don't panic and you don't start lobbing things in like, you know, a thickener or, you know, some sort of stock that you found in the fridge? 
Yeah, I think I always like that expression, a good tradesman always knows how to hide their mistakes. And similarly, a chef, you can always, if you can stay relaxed, there's always a way to recover a soup that's too thick or too thin. So if your soup is too thin, you're going to have to add more starchy veg to thicken it. So you might, after you finish sweating your sweet potato, you might take just a small bit out just in case you have a little bit of room to jiggle with. Uh, and then if your soup is too thick, you're just going to add in more liquid. So it's it's about just taking your time and then finally you're going to have to balance the seasoning. So mm. there are five basic flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, acidic and umami. And you're trying to find a harmony of all these to where the, the soup tastes balanced and delicious. Yeah. Uh, and that, w- once you kind of. Once you get beyond the fear of, oh, no, I don't want to ruin my soup. My dad's soup was amazing. I put 30 minutes. If you can kind of go beyond your initial fear and kind of go, OK, I can fix this. This soup is too thick. OK, add more liquid. OK, so I'm going to start with adding a little bit of veg stock. OK, it tastes a little bland. I'm going to start seasoning with salt. OK, it tastes a little bit bit claggy. Okay, I'm going to put a bit of lemon. So I think once you can kind of relax and go through the process, it's quite a fun and very fulfilling process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like how was the sale? That sounds that sounds amazing, boys. And one of the things I have to say, I was uh, like really blown away by in the books and particularly the new book is the sweet stuff uh, that you've created. I mean, I'm just at the moment looking at the cookies and the, the cakes and these just aren't things that you associate with <laughs> a plant-based diet. When somebody goes plant-based, you picture them foregoing all of these things. And last week, Sonia and I talked about how, you know, I, I mentioned it to my wife. Would you consider giving this a go? And she was like, whoa, well, what about Mikey, my, my little 10 year old boy who's obsessed with sausages <laughs> and thinking, how hard is it? That's the question that people want to answer all the time is how hard is it to suddenly go plant based? What would you say to those people? Uh, well, I'd say it's it's not about vegan or vegetarian because those are very binary words that people feel like they're starting a new religion. That really it's about like plant based. The essence of it is, you know, whether you're 80 percent or 100 percent or 50 percent, it's really all about eating more plant based foods. So that's the fruit, your veg, your whole grains, your beans and your nuts and seeds. And it's about because like all eating science says, the more that you're eating, the healthier you're going to be. So it's really about, first of all, removing the, those words like vegan and vegetarian because they're very binary and they're very off putting to lots of people. And it's really about like even in Ireland, and I'm sure it's the same in the US and the UK, very similar statistics, that nine out of 10 people don't get their recommended daily allowance of fiber and you only get fiber in plant based foods. So that's nine out of 10 people aren't eating enough plant based foods. And then 55 percent of calories across the Western world are coming from ultra processed foods. Mm. So it's really about trying to move the goalposts and eating more fruit and veg and whole grains and beans because these are we're, we're eating so much kind of processed junk foods and they're not really adding to our health they're highly addictive and they're you know we get so much pleasure from them but it's it's really being quite disciplined in terms of your health and well-being you know well sonia you you actually raised the question of cheese right that was the first thought that you had was well, what about what about cheese <laughs> i mean i know that that would be a lot of people thinking the same thing that they've tried maybe a cheese substitute and they've gone blech i'm never gonna try that ever again what what is like you're not a plant-based diet person what is holding you back well i think when you asked me the question before i kind of yeah i said you know i'm i 
I do eat a lot of plants and vegetables and fruit and everything else. So I would probably agree with Dave and Steve there that, that um, I'd be about 80% probably plant-based. Hmm. And then I just top it up with these things that I like, like right. cheese and, you know, not every day, but, and, you know, having a, a nice big steak <laughs> if, yeah. I need, if I feel like I need some iron. Like I was saying, you know, sometimes you associate certain nutrients with certain foods and every now and then, you know, if you don't eat them regularly, then you might crave them and you'd kind of identify with that. And that's probably where I'm at with it all is that um, I'd be probably mostly plant-based, but then I top it up with 20%. And I hope I'm not ruining all the plant-based goodness <laughs> by, uh, by you know, having in that nice cheese and uh, extra bits and pieces. Well, what, what do you say to that, boys? Because, like, there is that thing, isn't there? There's a certain, around, a certain amount of, look, there's a certain amount of snobbery around running that people are like, oh, you're not, that's not really this you know this isn't really plant-based what what do you do when you encounter that or or what do you say to people who who kind of come to it with that feeling that i and sonia have that uh, oh, i'm not really doing it i'm uh, you must encounter that quite a bit yeah i think it's i guess there's kind of often a snobbery in everything where people like to feel better than than others and i think with this, it's not like you eat a piece of chicken or have a slice of cheese and you're off the team. I think it's like we're all health is multifaceted and what we eat is really important. But it's also do we exercise as in do we run? Do How do we deal with stress? Do we sleep well? And do we have any sense of purpose? So I think health is multifaceted. And I, I think rather than kind of beating people up in pursuit of perfection, I think, you know, let's work with the full gamut of health. Like everyone listening knows an elder or a granny or granddad that lived to the age of 85. They didn't eat a vegetable in their life. They loved gambling and <laughs> um, they smoked cigarettes. They drank a bottle of whiskey a day, but they laughed a lot. There was a lot of love in their life. There was a great sense of purpose and community. So I think health is multifaceted. And like, if you do love a bit of cheese, great game ball. You know, it's not an all or nothing thing. So I think it's it's baby steps. And I think it's progress rather than perfection. Well, David and Stephen, I have to say the new book is something else. And as the blurb says, it really does distill kind of 20 years of plant based cooking experience into these 10 chapters. And it walks you through everything from flavor and texture to uh, uh, adapting recipes to you know your own needs as you say without taking this hardline view of I no longer do that and that makes me a better person than you and I have a dry robe it's it's a real pleasure to talk to you lads and i wonder if you'd consider coming back at uh, a later point well definitely we'll have to do an episode on the on the main show about the success and your journey but we'd love to have you back on the running podcast because we haven't had a chance to get to bread today and it is it is one of my favorite things in the world would you come back to talk about that at some point in the future 
Absolutely. And we, yeah, we opened a bakery there in April of last year. So we've... Uh, the sourdough bakery. Sourdough oh. bakery. So we, we've gone deep down the bread rabbit hole. So yeah, we're, love we're breadaholics too. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you so much, David and Stephen. As I said, the new book is out. Uh, wherever you get your books, you need to you need to get this. You can also get it, obviously, as a, a digital book if you don't want to go down that route of waiting on the delivery. It's called The Happy Pair Vegan Cooking for Everyone. Dave, Steve, we'll talk to you soon. Sonia, thank you so much for ringing in from Australia for this. Brian Connolly's on production. Jigsaw.ie are our chosen charity partner. Please sign up to the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge. And, uh, you know, maybe, lads, maybe I'll get to this marathon that you did just as a, just as a little bit on the side. <laughs> Thanks so much, fellas. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Sonia. Thanks a million. See ya. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not Cause the drinks bring back all the memories Of everything we've been through Toast to the ones here today Toast to the ones that we lost on the way Cause the drinks bring back all the memories And the memories bring back, memories bring back your There's a time that I remember When I did not know no pain When I believed in forever And everything would stay the same now my heart feel like December When somebody say your day Cause I can't reach out to call you But I know I will one day yeah. Everybody hurts sometimes Everybody hurts someday yeah, yeah. But everything gonna be alright Don't raise a glass and say yeah. Here's to the ones that we got Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not Cause the dreams bring back all the memories Of everything we've been through Toast to the ones here today Toast to the ones that we lost on the way Cause the dreams bring back all the memories And the memories bring back, memories bring back your Memories bring back, memories bring back your there's a time that I remember When I never felt so lost And I felt all of the hatred Was too powerful to stop oh, yeah. Now my heart feel like an ember And it's lighting up the dark I'll carry these torches for ya And you know I'll never try yeah. Everybody hurts sometimes Everybody hurts someday yeah, yeah. But everything gonna be alright Raise a glass and say, hey. Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not. Cause the drinks bring back all the memories of everything we've been through. Toast to the ones here today. Toast to the ones that we lost on the way. Cause the drinks bring back all the memories. And the memories bring back, memories bring back your. Memories bring back memories
Thank you.